to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to begin at verse 7 in a moment. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, for all that you have in store, the trials, the good times, the bad times. James reminds us the, the importance of understanding that it's in these trials that you're in control, that we're to consider it all a joy when we encounter various trials. Knowing the testing of our faith produces endurance. And that we're to let that endurance have that perfect work. Lord, I pray for the body of Christ universally. Lord, that they would know that you love them with that everlasting love. God, that they will not let go of you, that they will cling to you, but realize that you're the one that's clinging to them, holding them, sustaining them, keeping them until that day. And Lord, we ask as we turn to your word that you would speak to us personally, intimately, that you would stir our hearts, remind us of our calling, remind us of what you have already done, and that you will finish the work in each of us. And all God's people said, Amen. Today we, we have something that it's uh, called easy believerism. That means just say a sinner's prayer and you're saved. Just come to the front and, 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 and just say you're a sinner. Confess your sins and you're saved. Just come to Jesus and everything is fine. And it's a lie. See, there is no salvation apart from repentance. And so many within the church are not true believers. They've trusted in their faith. They've not trusted in Jesus Christ. They haven't repented. There's not a, a change in a, a lifestyle. And if a person has repented and acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Savior and given their life over to him, life is not a bowl of cherries, is it? I mean, things aren't always wonderful, are they? Just come to Jesus and you'll have no problems. And I found that far from the truth. Life is a battle. The scripture makes it very clear that you're a soldier. And, and that's very hard in one way for me to relate to because I was never in the military. I was around the military. I've seen the good and the bad of the military. But you're a soldier. It reminds us that this life is a battle. And, and what happens is sometimes we just we kind of forget that. We kind of get into our comfort zones. 
We're no longer taking ground and pressing on and becoming everything that God would have us be. Because that's what a soldier does. He presses on. There's times that he stands firm and holds the ground, but sometimes there's times that he has to to move forward. The Christian life is likened to a walk that we're continually moving forward. I want to pause. I want you to search your mind. Are you more like Christ today than you were last year? See, something is going sour in your life if you're not pressing on, you're not moving forward, you're not more like Christ. A greater boldness. It's these confrontations that prepare you for that next situation you're going to go through. As Paul's about to pass a baton on to Timothy, Paul's in prison. He's in a place that's damp, it's wet, it's cold. He knows very shortly that he will give his life. He knows that all the pressure is going to be laid upon on Timothy, and, and Timothy's going to have to move on. So what he's doing is exhorting him and encouraging him at the same time. Timothy, you're a soldier, and you're going to have to press on. You're going to have to carry the baton. It would be like a, a, a young child. I, I've seen this situation, a boy that's nine or ten, and his father dies, and, and before the father dies, he says, you have to be the man of the house. You have to carry the weight upon your shoulders. Well, it may not seem fair, but oftentimes that's what happens. Let's read our text, and I'll show you, because I'm going to see, you're going to see the gospel and different things that are always wonderful to, to talk about. That's so true. But I'm lifting out what I believe is Another picture here, really the heart of the text of of God speaking through Paul to Timothy to exhort him on. In verse 7 it says, For God has not given us a, a spirit of timidity, but power and love and discipline. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of the Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I believed, I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until this day. Statistic in 2013 I pulled up and it it was saying that 900,000 Christians had been martyred in the last decade. That's about 90,000 a year and one every six Minutes. Life is a battleground. We're, we're so separated, we really don't know what's going on around the world. 
we're naive. Sometimes we, we, we take and bury our heads in the sand. and We don't even want to look at the news when we see things that are happening. We want to avoid it, and we want to be in our comfort zones. It is a battlefield, and we need to be aware, and we need to be suited with the armor of God that Ephesians chapter 6 talked about. It's essential if you go through this life. And that is what Paul is doing, encouraging him really to be a soldier. He needs this courage. And I think every one of us, it speaks to every one of us because all of us here at some point have lacked that courage, have been full of fear, wanted to share our faith with someone, and and we just kind of freeze up. I remember when I became pastor, I was so fearful. I was just saved, barely. And there were people that had been Christians for 30 years. What am I a a pastor for? Why aren't they the pastor? Making excuses and trying to put away. And that's what fear does is put things and, and push it away so we don't have to deal with it. And I remember reading this verse and the pastor saying, Ron, God has put you there. It's not appointed you a spirit of timidity. It might be that you're asked once a month as one of the men to come up and facilitate communion. Fear paralyzes you. Or do a home study or share your faith. This message is real and it's real for today, for you and for me. See, this is why I call this uh, the soldier's courage. Because all of us need courage. All of us need to be bold and yet full of love and grace. Look with me, the the strong courage, it's in verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. That phrase, not given, refers to a specific time that he has already given you, and I'm going to say this, all the gifts, the moment you were born again, placed in Christ, you were complete in Christ. Perfect. Everything that God wanted to do in your life right then was available to you. The table was spread. Come to him and receive from him. The problem is, if we're honest with one another, we, we do know that. But we fail to appropriate what is already given to us in Christ Jesus. Every one of us. It's a part of growing and recognizing that weakness and how we need him each and and every day. Now that, that word for timidity, sometimes it could be cowardness. We just don't want to go. We're cowards. Those are hard words, I know, but they're, they're truthful. But not only cowardness, it, it, it speaks of just a, a lack of confidence. I can't do it. God wouldn't be honored. God has given you everything you need to glorify him. 
to take that step of faith. He, he has equipped you and he will enable you to do whatever he has called you to do. Not faith in your faith. We've been talking about that off and on. But faith in a faithful God that gives you exactly what you need. So we can either quench his spirit or believe and appropriate what he has already given us. Now, Paul knows this struggle that he has, probably because Paul had that struggle himself at one point. In fact, we see that Paul emphasizes, again, three different things to really qualities to help make Timothy effective in the ministry. And I think every one of us want to be effective. Whatever ministry God has given us. Well, notice again that that first thing that we're going to see as we read the text is is, is power. Oftentimes when we think about power, that's authority, and, and we like that power, that idea that we have power, we have control over everybody. Power is boldness, strength, and courage. Sometimes it's this power that we have is under control. This is important. The idea is that power is to recognize that, that weakness, but also to, to recognize that strength, what God has given us. The ability to recognize that God has uniquely put you in that situation wherever you're at. Let me tell you, wherever you're at, whatever situation it is, whatever ministry you're in, whether it be in this congregation or it be in the community, God sends his best for that situation you're in. To meet with that person, to share with that person, to minister to that person, whether they be in a hospital or it's leading them to salvation, that you can identify with them, you can speak with them, because you have been given this boldness in Christ and you know him personally, and you can share. You can comfort them with the comfort you receive. And all we do is appropriate. We're simply taking him at his word. And that's what Paul reminds him of, what the word is, what God has already done in the past. And that's true for every pastor, every elder, every deacon, every mother, every father to be what God would have you be. He gives us a second point, is love. Love. Have you ever met a Christian that is unloving? We're supposed to be the most loving people in this world. The world should know us by our love for one another. This love that he's talking about in the text is this agape love. It's the love that's poured into our hearts. When a, a believer says, well, I'm just not loving. It's not my nature. Well, your old nature may not be loving, but when God has poured his love into your heart, you should be the most loving person that anyone has ever met. When you choose not to act in love, and love will motivate us to lay down our lives. There's no greater love than one who would lay down his life for his brother. 
love motivates us to, to serve and give our lives away. Because that's biblical Christianity, giving yourself away. And love that motivation. It Love reaches out to others. It gets beyond our, ourselves. It's caring. And that loving ministry is effective ministry. Whether you see it or not. God's enabled you. God's put you in that circumstance. And God will use it. About six or eight weeks ago, there was a young man here in the church that was leading worship. And came up to me before worship, and he said something very interesting. He says, you know, you did a concert, uh, oh, maybe 15 years ago. And when you did that concert, it was a, a punk rock band. He says, my life was changed forever. Those that were the, the punk rock band, sit down with those people, the ones that come to, to hear them, shared the truth of what it meant to be in Christ. Shared with them that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and this is what your life will look like. And this young man has been walking with the Lord, serving the Lord, ministering for the Lord every place. But I had no idea. God used it. How many times do you do something and, well, gosh, doesn't look like God showed up. But God shows up. He even works in spite of you. But when you act in love and love motivates you to do something and you know you're being led by God, you leave the fruit to him. He'll enable you to say the right things, do the right things. And even if things go wrong, he will use it for good. But there's a third thing. The servant of God must be, again, in one translation, it calls sound mind or discipline, self-disciplined. It'd be effective ministry. See, again, he's reminding Timothy of what Timothy has already heard him teach to others. But he needed to be reminded because now Timothy's on that, that front line. And you'll need to be reminded and have to remind someone else. God's given you what you need to do what he has called you to do. And he sent the best, best prepared for that situation. Well, again, this, this, this self-discipline or self-control, it's really kind of the fruit of the Spirit is love, but one of the things that we see love is is, is this discipline, self-discipline, self-control. It's divine. You know, God's working in you and working through you. But the choice is always yours. A person, to be effective ministry, he's reminding him, is look, a, a person must be, have this self-discipline, this self-control in his own life before God could really use you to the potential that he wants to use you. And God wants to use all of you. He wants to reach your family, your friends, your community. You know the beautiful thing? He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That's us. And that's a wonderful thing. 
Because I've heard people say, wow, if God only got a hold of that man's heart, look at what he's doing. God doesn't choose that. God chooses the brokenhearted, the humble, the ones that that really feel like, how could God use me? And then he gives you that grace and that ability. See, the greatness of our fear shows really the, the weakness of our faith. Because God has already given you every, everything that you need. In fact, that's the problem with the church sometimes because within the church, there's so many within the body of Christ that are spiritual invalids, let's say. They're not reproducing. They're not glorifying God. I like what John Wesley said. Give me 100 Christians who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not straw whether they're clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set the kingdom of heaven on earth. Every one of our names should be known in hell because we are advancing the kingdom of God by just living for Christ, appropriating what's already given to us in him, believing him at his word, stepping and seeing what God might do. And he wants to do great things in your life. Well, Again, that first quality, as I mentioned, is really the need for spiritual power. It's a God-given power. I love Zechariah. Zechariah 4, 6, I'm sure you do too. It's a favorite for many of us. Then he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by power or might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not your own power, but the spirit of the Lord. That when you step, that you pray, God, you've got to fill me. You've got to work through me because, Lord, I can't do it. And you're right. You can't do it. But in the power of the Spirit, you can. The things that are impossible for man are possible for God. And you, God can use in the most impossible situations. In Luke 24, 49, behold... I'm sending forth a promise of the Father upon you, but you will stay in the city until you're clothed with the power of high. Speaking of the Holy Spirit that would be given, and look on Acts 1.8 on the screen, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even the remotest parts of the earth. Notice again that you'll receive this power. This is the birth of the church. It's the day of Pentecost. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in your life in three ways. He's with you, convicting you of your sin. He's in you, indwelling your heart and guiding you. And he's on you. This is the the power. The power to do things. Deutimous power, dynamic power. To do things that are impossible. 
you've heard of stories, I'm sure, of uh, maybe a mom, a, a, a car uh, ran over a kid, and the mom lifts up a car to get her child out. Like that, the power of God, the power of the Spirit is so much more. It's a spiritual power to do what seems to be impossible. This same power is not just a force, it's a person, the second person of the God, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter who indwells our hearts. Is the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you and me. Isn't that incredible? God lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you. Now, going back to verse 8, notice what it says. After this Holy Spirit is given, so you be witnesses. You're not talking about knocking on doors. That you may do. But a different life, a changed life. They would recognize there must be a God. That these people were with Jesus, supernaturally changed, enduring things they never could have endured before. It's important to understand that same power indwells you. Listen as A.J. Gordon told a story of an American who said to his English friend, come and I'll show you the greatest unused power in this world. And he took him to Niagara Falls and said, there's the greatest unused power ever. And the Englishman responded, no, my brother, not so. The greatest unused power in this world is the Holy Spirit. How true. We will never accomplish the work of God with cheap substitutes, gimmicks. A stable work must be built by the power of God. Jesus said he'd build the church. And you are his vessels, you are his tools, and he wants to work through you. He wants to reach people that seem impossible to reach. He wants to change lives. He wants to bring healing. He wants to rescue the the drug addict, the alcoholic, because he's love. Notice the second quality, as I mentioned, is really love. Romans 5.5 makes it very clear, and the hope does not disappoint because the love of God has, as I mentioned, has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. And then John 13.34 Notice what it says in 35, and a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I've loved you, that you love one another, and by this all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. One of the things I prayed before when we met together before church is that that you guys would know that you are loved. The most loved people all in Hilo, and that you take that love out to a world that doesn't know that love, that sacrificial love. Our love cares and gives to the lost world, giving them a picture of this God who gave his only begotten son. The third thing, as I mentioned, is that discipline, the discipline. In Philippians 4, 8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honor, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, 
whatever is a good repute, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, dwell upon these things. Stop, pause. What is it in your life that you dwell upon? What kind of shows do you watch in TV? What kind of books and magazines? What kind of conversations do you have? Is it in the heavenlies? Or is it in the gutter? See, the believer's mind is to be filled with things that are pleasing to God, things that edify, things that build up. I like Ecclesiastes. Uh, Solomon put it something like this, wise thinking leads to right living. When you think of truth, when you think of love, your life will reflect that. And all will see. If Timothy was to to stand firm in, in this ministry, if he was to carry this weight up on his shoulder, he could only do it in the power of the Spirit, giving it to the Lord. He needed to do it, again, not by power or might, but by my spirit. He needed the, the spirit. You need the spirit, and I need the spirit each day to be a husband, to be a wife, to be a mom, a father, grandmother, grandfather. The Christian soldiers' strength. There are other essentials that are important. There are must. And that possibility when you think about it. There's always this real danger of turning away from Jesus or even betraying Jesus. Think of Peter who denied Jesus three times, so sure of himself. I really like that, that idea that in one sense, I'm only one step away from turning away from Jesus. Only one step away of being like a dog returning to his vomit. I need to be reminded that capacity is within me and it's in you. That I need him, that you need him. The danger of temptation to deny him. And certainly, when it comes to sharing, the first time you begin to share with people, there's that fear. Or when people come up, are you really a, a Christian? You want to kind of scoot out of that conversation? Again, it's important to understand, verse 8, it says, and ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Paul knew time and time again he needed that boldness and pray for that boldness. Every one of us have been in a place where we want to share, want to do something, and we just don't have that boldness. We don't have that love to mow us on, and we just kind of, kind of scoot back, fade into the the woodwork. If we could be a fly on the wall, that would be okay. And he knows. See, because Paul knows. Paul's had these same struggles, just as you and I will have these same struggles. Hopefully less and less. Three times in this chapter, Paul warns Timothy against being ashamed. In verse 8, we'll see it in verse 12 and 16. The warnings don't really mean that Paul sees him really already ashamed, but he knows the temptation that will come when these false teachers, these enemies come, the pressure comes on, and we just want to say, I'm just tired. I'm tired of fighting. It's time, if you're in ministry, to 
really to get out of that ministry or you need to light that fire again. Because that person has that attitude as a danger to all the other soldiers. Paul writes only to encourage, to exhort him, to strengthen his faith. Look with me in Ephesians 6.19 and pray on my behalf that the utterance may be given to me and the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. Even Paul here, he, he, pray for me. We need to pray for one another. You need to pray to come up here week after week. And, and, and I love the stunning, but sometimes standing up here, people say, oh, it's so easy for you. Let me tell you, there are times when I'm up here, there's a spiritual battle going on. You can't believe what's filling my mind, scrambling the thoughts. We need to pray. Paul knew it. He knew that Timothy would need this same encouragement. He knew what Timothy would go through. That's how we can comfort others with the comfort we receive because we learn these things and we pass them on. The early Christians spoke of Christ with great boldness, assurance in Christ. In fact, look with me in Acts 4.13. It says, Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, and they were amazed and began to recognize them as being with Jesus. Our lives are to be like this, a testimony. When you walk in a room, walk in a business, walk in wherever you go, there's something to be different about us. I like what it says in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. When you understand that gospel, it becomes a part of you. You know what Christ has done. You know where you're going. You know you're kept by his power. You know that his strength is available. His wisdom's available to you in every circumstance. It's so important. And Paul just wants to encourage this brother. Now, there's an increasing probability, Paul says, of me, his prisoner. He's a prisoner in Christ. Now, remember, he's in prison. He's about to die. If you were in prison and you're about to die, what would be those last words, last concern? Paul's concern was for the work of Christ. Paul's concern was for Timothy, what Timothy would go through. It was other-centered. He cared. Now, we talked about last week, is Christ prominent in your life or is he preeminent? And here we see again this picture that he's preeminent. He knows where he's going. He has this assurance, this, this positive thing. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. And we see that demonstrated time and time again in the Scripture. And he was a prisoner in many ways in 2 Timothy. Look with me on the screen. Chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured and out of them the Lord rescued me. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. How many desire to live godly here? That means you're going to suffer persecution. If you're really living that Christ-like life, you will, you will be confronted with it somehow. 
Not like our brothers and sisters in other nations, maybe. But maybe not the promotion that you want. There are many ways. The bottom line here, Paul says in each and every case, God was sufficient to meet all the challenges in Paul's life. And God's sufficient to meet you wherever you're at. The problem is sometimes he's there, but we won't look to him. We strive on our own power to resolve our problems. And that's why I like Hebrews chapter 4, paraphrasing the beginning, strive to enter into his rest. Rest uh, from working or work at, I should say, work at resting in Jesus. Because it doesn't come natural just to rest in Jesus, just to let him take care of the problems. We do what we can, but we have to commit it to him. He's on the throne. He's control. He's the one that grants the favor. Well, again, in verse 8, we see, but join me in suffering for the gospel. I don't think it happened, but it could happen. There could be a day that they say that if I just simply read some of the things that are, are said here in the Bible, they may want to arrest me. Now, how many want to just come and be in jail with me? Any, any volunteers? Yeah. But that may be what it comes to. That's what it is in, in other countries. We kind of, ah, oh, come on. That, the real, it does. We're very naive. We buried our heads in the sand for too long. People are angry that we don't have prayer in schools. The only reason we don't have prayer in school is because the church has not been the light, has not been the salt. We have not been witnessing. We haven't been what God would have us be. It's not the protest on the streets and all that. It's because we, the church, is guilty. Even if you were a child, the church is guilty. We're all guilty. And we're called to be that light. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. You know, the, I went through a trial one time, and I mean, it was a bugger of a trial. And you know the one thing I remember from that trial? God is real. And my faith is real. And he kept me through that trial. And all the things I experienced, I don't even think about them. What matters is God was there. And God handled. See, we suffer. If we choose to suffer, it's because the gospel is worth it. What Christ has done, he's the good news. We know what will happen in this life when we close our eyes. And the gospel's worth it. That's why we have brothers and sisters dying around the world. Look with me also in verse 8, the indwelling power according to the, the power of God. That power, as I mentioned earlier, is the deutimous power. It, again, it's the inerrant in power of God in you. And then we need to, to pray for that power. Pray that we will speak boldly, share, and act as, as he would have us. And the world will 
recognize it. Now, this power he's talking about, this is amazing. It's the same power that spoke into existence all creation, who hurled the galaxies so they would begin to spin in outer space, that packed enough power into Adam to, to blow this island up. It's in each and every one of us. You know, God is big enough to handle any one of your problems and all of our problems at the same time. See, this power may not always be available to us, though, sometimes. And, and I mean that is because sometimes God's using these circumstances in our life. He has another purpose, something he wants to accomplish in us. So sometimes we go through these. He's not saving us from us, but he's saving us through those that we would grow and rest and trust in him. But God's power is always available to keep us from falling if we cry out to him. No matter what you or I are ever facing. Over the years, thousands of Christians have been thrown to lions, spectators, cheered. Many have been crucified, others covered, animal skins ripped apart by wild dogs. Many were covered in tar and set on fire as human torches. They've been boiled in oil while others were burned at the stake. I remember reading about Polycarp, the aged soldier of Christ, who was burned at the stake when Polycarp was 86, he was pressured by the, the Roman proconsul, if you remember. He says, I've served. Again, they wanted him to, to recant. And he says, I've served him 86 years. He's done me no injury. How can I blaspheme the king and the savior, Jesus Christ? And he died. J.H. Joyet, his well-said ministry that costs nothing, accomplishes nothing. Truly, the scripture says that we are to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him daily. You want to see God's glory, it means that we follow him. We have to deny our own worldly desires to, to see God's glory. That's what Paul was doing. That's what Timothy was doing. That's why Paul said, I have no one like him. There's this kindred spirit that he loves you as much as I love you. He cares about your health, your physical, your spiritual, the whole person. The Christian soldier, salvation is important. See, Paul touches on that next. The courageous soldier must be saved. And have the assurance of that salvation. Must be saved. I, I've known many churches in the past would have, um, you know, great musicians up here in the front, but they weren't even saved. How can they lead us into the presence of Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to get them saved. The, the most important thing is we want to see they're saved first before they ever come and serve. Second, they need to know that they're saved, being saved, and will be saved. In the end, we did a, a survey for life years ago. 
when we set up a, uh, before Walmart at the time, and we had 25 questions, I believe it was, and asked uh, these different questions about life. And one of the questions was, would you like to know that you can have eternal life? And while we didn't have many unbelievers, what we had is a lot of professing believers who didn't know they were going to go to heaven. They didn't have that assurance of heaven. They didn't have that hope of heaven. They were fearful that if they said a cuss word on their deathbed because of the pain, that they're going to go to hell. And we had this opportunity to open the scripture and speak to them. Notice this was written that you might know you have eternal life and that eternal life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to know that you are a child of God kept by the power of God until that day. How can you have peace if you don't know when you close your eyes in this world where you're going to go? Or those loved ones before you've gone to be with the Lord, will you see him again? Oh, it's important to understand. A courageous soldier must be saved and must have that assurance of life. Well, in verse 9, notice what it says, who has saved us, called us with a holy calling. Christians are, are, are saved not only uh, from the life of sin, but really a life of holiness. Now, when we're saved, we're saved unto the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, be holy as I'm, I'm holy. The moment you become a believer, you have this imputed righteousness to, to us. We have the righteousness of God. You're seen just as you've, you've never sinned. And that's so important to understand. We have this imparted power in the, the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us. It makes us holy. It, it makes us more like him. It, it's what we call progressive salvation, that as you're growing, you're growing in him, and you're becoming more and more like Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, if you see your husband growing that way, your wife growing, encourage him. I love what God is doing in your life. I see that change that he's molding in you. It helps a person to press on and grow in Jesus Christ. Finally, though, one day, the work will be done or receive glorified bodies. We have a hope, a hope that the world doesn't have. How else can you live for the Lord unless you know that you're saved and you're being saved? Assurance of salvation. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6, I'm confident of this, this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He starts the work. He finishes the work. Oh, that's a part of my prayer. Lord, thank you. I know. One day you'll finish it. One day there won't be this battle in me anymore. One day I'll be with you in heaven. Look at verse 9. We see salvation's planning according to, the, to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Now, some of my most favorite verses, I, you know, they're my favorite. I really don't hammer you with them. But look with me on the screen. It's Titus 2, 11 and 14. They're powerful. For by the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, notice, to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worthy, or worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, 
godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's what he's doing. He's purifying you, making you holy. And he's put this desire that we'd be zealous to go out and serve, not just one another, this community, to make a difference in this community. Well, salvation's power is seen in verse 10. But now he has revealed by the appearing of the Savior Christ, Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Powerful words, 1 Corinthians, if you do not have it underlined in your Bible, make a note. Verse 54, 1 Corinthians 15, 54, it begins, when this perishable have put on the imperishable, this mortal has put on immortality, then will come about the saying is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory to Lord Jesus Christ. You know, come on, guys. There's a place for a hallelujah if there ever was or an amen. You know, that's something that we lack. The zealousness for the Lord. The zealousness what he has done. Now, I, I know things need to be done in decent order, but there are times. If we realize what God's done, there should be this overflowing joy in our lives. You know, again, salvation's purpose, we see it in verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and a teacher. Three things. Again, a preacher, apostle, and a teacher. Let me read, though, Matthew, Matthew 28. Notice it says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I command you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, what's significant is, is the preacher is one who heralds, proclaims the gospel. He's the one, the evangelist, so often that is his main emphasis is reaching people for Christ. Every one of us are given that in the Great Commission. But he was also apostle. That meant that he was sent, sent by Jesus Christ. And we talked earlier, Jesus Christ is the apostle, and Hebrews talks about it, that Paul was an eyewitness, and there are marks of a true apostle's, apostle seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he demonstrated those. He was sent by Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And I think one of the most important things once a person saved was teaching them and grounding them, equipping them in the word of God that they might go out and fulfill that great commission. Notice with me the Christian's soldier's security. It's in verse 12, for this reason I also suffer these things I'm not ashamed. It's interesting. Again, Paul's cause is is here. He's I, I suffer these things, and I'm not ashamed of it. He, he knew that he was going to go through these things. In fact, look with me in Acts 9, 15 and 16. It says, And the Lord said to me, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the son of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. 
Paul was chosen. He was chosen differently than you and me. He had a mission that you and I didn't have, but he was going to suffer, and he gladly was willing to lay down his life for Jesus Christ because the gospel meant so much to him. It changed his life. It snatched him out of the fire and gave him hope. It was real in his life. And when the gospel is real, when the Spirit's living in you, you can't help but bubble over. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. The Spirit of God, when he's in you, you're not going to be an Eeyore. You're going to want to tell people what God is doing in your life. Yes, you may go through things. I go through things. But man, we have a message, a message that they need to hear, a message of hope. Paul had a reason. He knew. He knew what the end would be. Now, notice this, Paul's comprehension. It's in verse 12 too. For I know whom I believe. Now, that idea is two, two parts. Is one, he experienced God personally. And I want to encourage you today to take time, set it aside with God. When you go through this life, recognize he's there with you. He wants you to experience him personally and intimately. You're going to have to seek him. You're going to have to say, God, I want to know you're present with me. It may mean a trial. It may mean a storm. But he will assure you he is with you. You will know his sustaining power, his keeping power. And that's so important. This is what gives you that assurance that your faith is real. He says, I know, experientially. But there's also this word that has a a, a double meaning. Sometimes you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt. This is where God wants you to know. One, to experience it, but two. Truly, not just say the words. Know when you close your eyes in this life, you will open them in the presence of the Lord. I know I will see my grandma, my grandpa. I know I will see those loved ones that have gone before me to heaven. We will worship the king forever. When you know that, nothing is too difficult to go through. Because you know he's with you, sustaining you, keeping you. Paul's confidence, he goes on in verse 12, I'm convinced that he's able to guard it. The word is the guard is a military term. He, he, He guards. He protects. It's important what Paul knew. He knew. There, there, there's not a doubt. There was this assurance. In the context, again, it's this, this idea that God was in control. He was so sure of it. And being led is certainly by the Spirit. When we get to 2 Timothy 3, we're going to talk about this inspired word of God and how God you know, guides us when he's writing that word. What Paul wrote in Romans 8, 35 through 39, some of the most encouraging words. I remember sharing these words with a man that I led to the Lord that was going to die. He was in terminal cancer at the end, and, and I met with him several times. And, and, and when I read this, tears came down his eyes. I knew that he knew God. I knew that he knew where he was going. 
His family knew there was something different in his life. Notice what Paul wrote from this experience, but also this assurance. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it's written, for your sake, we're always being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But all these things were overwhelming conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only is that the inspired word of God written, Paul knew it. And you and I, when we speak that, we read that, that others understand that. Well, Paul's committal was what I've entrusted. He knew, as we talked about, that he, he trusted God with his life, his salvation. He knew that he was able to keep. And then it finishes in verse 12, until that day. Kept until that day. Now, in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, notice what it says. Therefore, we are also uh, have this ambition, whether home or absent, to be pleasing to the Lord. Paul was living in light every day, whatever, Lord, this is for you. Because I know one day I'm going to be with you. I'd like to share one thing that kind of surprised me. It's, it, it's humorous. But do you really understand that one day, if you're a believer, even if you're not a believer, you'll be raised either to go to hell or go to heaven. How real that is. There's a question proposed, an interviewer proposed to a, a group of men, a man, a priest, and a rabbi. It was uh, this group, this unity group, and, and it was interesting they, what they said. It says, well, what do you... Hope people will say about you at your funeral. And that's definitely a really good question. What will people say about you when you die? If they bury you in a cemetery, what will they put on your grave? What do people really see and know about you? Well, the Iman answer was this. The Iman man said at my funeral, I hope they will say I put the needs of my congregation before my own. And that sounds nice. He, he wants to be a type of leader who cares for others. That, that's, that's beautiful. Well, the, the priest answered in a, in a different way. At my funeral, I hope they will extend my ministry beyond the walls of the church. Oh, he, he was very aggressive and assertive. And that sounds nice, too, as an answer. The priest wanted to make a difference in the lives of the people in the community, and all those things are good. And the priest is supposed to be a Christian. But notice what the Jewish man said. The rabbi answered, and he said, at my funeral, I hope they say, look, he's moving. There's life after death. It's real. 
when that day comes and you die in this world, it's too late to do anything else. God's giving you desires in your heart to serve him, to honor him. He's giving you the gifts, the ability. He's giving his word of God to remind you and encourage you. The question is, will you live for Christ? Or will you live for yourself? You will move after you die. You'll move to hell. Or you'll move to heaven. The choice is really for you. The question you need to ask, have you really repented of your sins? Do you really recognize that you're a sinner separated from God and you really need him? And you give yourself to him. And he comes in and he begins to change you and clean you up. Make you to the man or woman you never thought you could be. But the things that are impossible for man are possible for God. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love and your mercies that are new every morning. I thank you for your word that's timeless, that it still breathes life into us. It tells us what's right and what's wrong and how to get right and how to stay right. Lord, you've provided everything we need. You provided your own son for us. And Father, if there's someone here today that has never trusted you with their life, God, I pray that you draw them to yourself today, that you would speak to their hearts. God, that you would cause them to to come afterwards and see me or one of the leaders, Lord. Because, Lord, I know that you love them with an everlasting love. So we thank you, what you have in store today for this week. May you glorify yourself in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.